ultimately, I'm going to keep saying it, get 1% better every day. Just get a little bit better every day. Hey, welcome to 1% Better. I'm Stephen Holder here with Zach Kiefer. Man, we got a little bit to talk about this week. <laughs> Zach, we had a busy weekend. The weekend's not even over, but uh, the Colts have been very, very busy. The NFL draft is in the books, uh, as different as it was. Certainly different. I've covered a lot of them. Never covered them from the comfort of my own uh, desk at home. But uh, but certainly, this was definitely a big draft for the Colts. Um, yeah. How are you feeling today, Zach? Do, do you feel differently about this team? I do. Now, how do I feel? I'm tired. <laughs> well, the Colts besides feel, that. The Colts are probably tired, too, but also pretty ecstatic. You know, I don't know what time you got to bed last night after we finished up with the scouts and our stories Mm but i uh you know i will admit that i wrote jordan taylor instead of jonathan taylor in a story for the uh (laughs) the running back the colts took in the second round i don't usually make those mistakes but it was a long day um look i mean i think they nailed it um there's a a lot of things we can get into the one thing i thought that was going to be you know dangerous for them was reaching on a quarterback i don't think they did they didn't Mm -hmm. reach you know, a lot of people had second round grades on Jacob Eason, and we can get into Eason later. You had an interesting story on him and, and the arm and the talent and how you wait. Um, but they took him in the fourth. And if he doesn't pan out, he's a fourth round pick and, and you move on. Um, but I really, really like the first two picks a lot. And I wouldn't usually say that, but, um, it was obvious this offense fell apart in the second half of the season and they just didn't have any way to put pressure on defenses. And I think Michael Pittman Jr. and Jonathan Taylor are going to do that right away. I think these guys are ready to play right away, and I think they're going to help this offense from day one. Yeah, I I would agree with you wholeheartedly. I, I think that this seems like a mature group, in particular the first two guys, and not just mature as as young men, which they are, but also mature in terms of football players, right? They've played a lot of football. They will be ready to roll, as you said. Uh, these two guys, yeah, they're going to be I, on I the field opening day. Whenever opening day comes, and Lord knows when that'll be, but they will be on the field, and they will be playing meaningful snaps for this team and helping them win football games and, and helping this offense create some some dynamic oh, okay. moments, uh, more than it has had. And I, think, I thought it was so interesting that Chris Ballard – opened up the other night when he spoke to us, I believe Friday night after the, the second and third rounds. And he said, it might've been you that asked him just about, you know, where he saw the team coming out of last season. And he said, there were two issues. He said, we needed to deal with our, <laughs> well, we our interior defensive over, line. Whatever they did that. DeForest Buckner's on the roster. And then he said, we needed more dynamic players okay. on offense. Boom, boom. Michael Pittman, Jonathan Taylor. So I, I think if those were your two objectives for the offseason, shoot, they just crushed them. <laughs> you know, I mean, I think that is yeah, that is exactly what they wanted to get done, and it that's what they no got done. Says, what do you so, think, Zach? Look, nothing. it's all on paper, but if you're talking about setting out to accomplish your goals, shoot, they did that. Uh, and I, I think that's that's really all you can do this time of year. I mean, you can't win any games, but you can certainly uh, get yourself in position uh, to get the right guys on your football team. Um, let's talk about Pittman specifically. Uh, there were a lot of wide receivers out there. Uh, why do you think it was Pittman, Zach? 
Yeah, I thought we got a lot of interesting intel from the area scout who was out there scouting them this year, Chris McGeha, who had a hand in a lot of these picks the Colts made this weekend. And McGeha dropped an interesting thing. He said, look, I was out there a lot and the USC practices, you know, the coaches will let you watch the entire practice. He said he never saw Pittman lose a one-on-one rep. Uh, he's like, look, you might think I'm lying. I'm, I'm exaggerated. No, I never saw him lose a one-on-one rep. And he told about that in the draft room. And so, you know, they made it pretty clear. The Colts on Saturday, a day after they chose Pittman, they said, look, this was consensus. They had the second pick Friday night. So when T. Higgins went to Cincinnati, it was almost uniform in the entire room that, that Pittman was the guy. And interesting enough, McGay has said another thing that jumped out at me. He said, look, this is this is kind of what we've been missing in our wide receivers room. And we've been writing about this, and you've mentioned it a million times. They need a big-bodied wide receiver. He called him a power forward. That's what they need. They need the big-bodied guy to go along with, with T.Y. Hilton and the speedster Paris Campbell. And I think this is the perfect fit. You know, they raved about his character. Um, it seems like, you know, as far as draft picks go in the second round, this was probably a slam dunk the way the Colts are saying it right now. Yeah, so for a little bit more on or on uh, Michael Pittman, uh, let's go to a clip actually from our USC writer, uh, Antonio Morales. Well, the first thing that stands out about Michael Pittman Jr. is his explosive playmaking ability. He's not exactly known as the fastest receiver, but he's constantly getting behind opposing defenses. Even when they go to extremes like Washington and Notre Dame did last year to prevent that from happening. There were a couple instances where he just refused to let USC lose. There was the 10-catch, 232-yard effort versus Utah, which was a top-10 team last year and one of the best defenses in the country. That came with USC's third-string quarterback, Matt Fink, in the lineup. That game really put Michael Pittman Jr. on the map and set the tone for his Bolitnikoff finalist season. And there was the... Two touchdown effort against Colorado in the fourth quarter, which helped USC escape with a road win after trailing by 10 points. So that playmaking ability is there, and it's sparked by a couple of things. One is his great hands. Another is his ability to win one-on-one matchups, which he did constantly at USC. And the third is his six foot four, 223-pound frame, which allows him to break tackles and makes them tough to deal with after the catch. And this is a guy who's willing to do whatever it takes to win. And he showed that early in his career at USC when he sat behind receivers like Deontay Burnett, Darius Rogers, and Juju Smith-Schuster. He was a highly touted four-star prospect, and he, he didn't pout when he got to campus and didn't play right away. All he did was go to, to work hard on special teams, whether it was kickoff coverage or, or blocking punts. And early in his career, he was named an all-pack 12 special teams performer. Uh, So he'll be great in the receiver room, but he's going to be great in terms of team culture. And that was one thing he was known for at USC. He was always the hardest working guy in the weight room. When it came to dealing with the media, he was probably the team's unofficial spokesman. And USC went 5-7 and in 2018 and didn't have a a lot of great leadership. Uh, He took over in 2019 as a team captain. And the team was constantly playing hard. And I like to think that Michael Pittman Jr., set an example for that because whenever he stepped on the field you you knew you were getting the most from him. so that's pretty good stuff there i think you know a lot of details not just about the player but also the type of guy he is i thought it was interesting uh hearing yeah. 
you know, how he handled not playing right away. Because that can be hard for a lot of a lot of big-time recruits. So he comes in, he's got a ton of guys in front of him. I mean, it's USC. They don't always win, but they always and got talent. And he's the son of an NFL player, yeah. too. I mean, you got to think that he expected, probably a lot of guys would expect to come in and play and be the guy. Right. So I, I think that's the perfect kind of demeanor you're going to have. Because, look, I mean, the, the Colts are a team that suddenly – they do have quite a few guys uh, to get the ball to. So I don't know how many touches he'll even get. I mean, I think he'll get his, but I mean, they still got T.Y. Hilton. Paris Campbell, they got big plans for him if he can stay healthy. Uh, right. You know, don't forget about Zach, Zach Pascal. Pascal's still out there. And Zach Pascal, he doesn't do anything specific, but he does everything. So he's yeah. going to be out there. So I don't know how many touches he'll get. So that's important, I think, uh, when you're drafted almost as – almost a first rounder basically at 34 uh, you're probably or a lot of guys would come in with expectations I I think that this guy is going to have the right approach and the right attitude Uh, and I did I've talked about this before I did meet him at the senior bowl and he is like a delightful kid seriously he is absolutely great to deal with so I'm looking forward to it I think you'll like him Zach I I think the fans will like him just because as Antonio pointed out he's he, he's a guy who who takes it upon himself. You know, he's the guy who put himself out there and say, you know, here's what the team needs to do. Um, and I think that's the kind of guy the Colts are looking for. Uh, there's a common thread through a lot of these guys. It always is with the Colts, and yeah. and, and they got that. I noticed that the last couple guy. drafts. You talk to these guys, and you just you just walk away and say, that's a really good kid. And I know it's 15 minutes, and it's not the full story, but. Uh, it's not a coincidence. It's not. This is the Brian Decker effect. And, and Chris Ballard made this a point of emphasis when he took over. Yeah. Look, first impressions are, are a real thing. And I think I think you can tell a lot if you've done this for a long time and you've dealt with these kids for a long time. I, th- I think you can tell something. So so I take something from that. Uh, in terms of Pittman, uh, I think it was interesting that uh, – they went for a guy who who maybe wasn't the flashy, explosive. Well, he is explosive in a different way, but he, you know, he wasn't this take the top off the defense guy. And I, right. I think it, it says something to me about who the Colts are as a football team and as an offense. Um, I mean, look at look at how they're comprised. You just talked about Zach Pascal. I think is the best example, right? He's here's a guy who maybe wouldn't fit on a lot of teams, but why did he even get on the field in the first place a couple of years ago? It's because he would go out there and he would block guys downfield for the yeah, running game. special teams. I mean, right. Yeah. Uh, and so here is Michael Pittman. He's a worker. He's a do-everything guy. He does the dirty work. He blocks. He, uh, he, he'll he run the short routes and, and take the hit. I mean, I don't know. Do, do you think there's something to that or am I, am I reaching there? Because I mean, they, they didn't go for a flashier, shinier object. Uh, they went for a more complete guy. Yeah. And, and, and every detail matters. And, and you talk about these, we, this is the thing that, that I get when we talk to the scouts is they will just rip off 15 to 20 pieces of information that are unbelievably detailed about every single guy. Mm-hmm. Um, with Pittman, it's interesting because you know, he's going to be the guy you can go to on third and seven. I go back to that game in the opener in, in L.A., and they, they had to get it. I think it was a fourth and five or something, and they threw it up to Funches, and Funches made the play. Unfortunately, that's the last of, of what we saw of Devin Funches because of the injury last year. But this is sort of exactly what they wanted. And, you know, I sent it. I sent a note to Frank Reich after they made the pick, and I was like, this has got Frank Reich written all over it. <laughs> and he did not disagree. So Frank wants this player in his offense. Believe that. He pushed for Funches. They wanted that big-bodied wide receiver. 
And you can't throw every third down to Jack Doyle. Let's be honest. Um, and I think it's a compliment to two guys, Campbell and Hilton. Those are your speedsters. You're going to want speedsters. And you got Naheem Hines, who I think is going to have an added role this season, even with the addition of Jonathan Taylor. So they've got a little bit of everything right now. You've got speed in Marlon Mack. You've got speed in Paris Campbell. You've got speed in, 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 in T.Y. Hilton, of course. And then you've got Taylor, who's the, the complete running back. And you've got Pittman, and you can just throw it up to him, and they need that. And you've got you know a more dependable target across the middle in Jack Doyle, but they are adding some toys for Frank Reich. And don't forget, they're also adding some toys for their 38-year-old quarterback, Phillip Rivers, who cannot move in the pocket like Brissett, and he's going to need to get the ball off quick. And he's going to throw a lot of jump balls to Michael Pittman this season. I think that's, I think that's part of the plan. So I wrote this early, and I really believed this in the offseason, Whoever the quarterback is for this team next year, I didn't know who it was going to be, whether it's Brissett or Rivers or even a rookie. I said, you got to go get this guy some help. The offensive line is good. I like the running game. you got to get get some weapons, and I mean on, on the offensive wide receiver room. And they did that, and Pittman is the first pick they made, and they totally addressed that. So um, if, you want, if you want Rivers to succeed this coming season – you had to help him, and they did that in a very big way with the first two picks, and that's why I like it. I know Chris Ballard was probably, you know, his instincts were saying, I want defensive line, I want offensive line. Mm-hmm. And, and I think you made a really good point in your story Friday night. Look at the way they built this team the last couple of years, inside out. The first couple drafts, defensive line, offensive line. You know, they drafted four linemen one year. Um, now they're starting to add some toys on the outside, right, some weapons, some offensive firepower. That's probably the right way to build a team. And that's why this draft's going to be fun to watch as it plays out with these picks the next couple of years because they just added a lot of offensive firepower. Yeah, and a big piece of that firepower is, as you obviously know, uh, Jonathan Taylor. So I, I got to tell you, I wasn't necessarily expecting an early running back. I wasn't thinking about running back at all, to be honest, in this draft. I thought, okay, they'll probably I wasn't get either. one. I'll be honest. Yeah, I'll, I figured right, they'll they'll get a throwaway running back late just because that's what Chris Ballard does. He's never taken a running back earlier than the fourth round, if I'm not mistaken. So I'm thinking, yeah. all right, there's no shot that, you know, that's in play in the second round. But then they made the pick, and I was like, huh, <laughs> I kind of like this. And now I'm like everybody else. It threw me for a loop, too, because I'm thinking, all right, Marlon Mack, you love Marlon Mack, I thought, right? But look, yeah. I, I think this is one of those things where a couple of things, number one, we can talk about what it means for Marlon Mack later. It doesn't mean anything in the time for the time being. They're going to have them both. But uh, what it means for Marlon Mack long term, I don't know. It doesn't bode well for him. But uh, I do think it speaks to a couple of things. They went out and got Phillip Rivers. They drafted a receiver with their first pick. And then they doubled down the running game. And it tells me they're still going to make that a big, big staple of their offense. You don't go out and Frank draft mentioned this that guy. Yesterday. That's a good point. Yeah, you don't go out and draft this guy unless you have every intent of running the damn ball. And they've done it before. I know Andrew Luck retired, but I don't think that's going to be something they depart from. Uh, what were your thoughts on Jonathan Taylor? Just, just generally, like you said, I think you were surprised like me just at, at the position. But once you learn more about this pick and why they did it, what were your thoughts? Yeah, so you got to think of this. This is what the Colts were thinking, because I was surprised, too. But the Colts were thinking that Jonathan Taylor is going to make Marlon Mack better. And I said, yeah, I don't know. Marlon, Marlon pretty much established himself last year. I think he's, I think he's great talent. 
Um, but they're two different running backs, and this is going to ease the load on Marlon. And they're going to be able to do different things. And Frank talked about that yesterday. Um, you know, Marlon's a speedster. He can hit the edge. And, and Taylor Taylor can do a little bit of everything. And he's getting better in the passing game. And this was an interesting note. You know, and, and my concern was the heavy workload. Like, this kid carried it 900 times in college, and he did everything at Wisconsin. And he's sixth all-time in rushing yards in college football history. You know, what's your concern level? And we talked to the scouts last night, and this is up in the story I wrote late last night about, you know, what the scouts saw in each player. I think it's one of the more fascinating stories we get to do all year. And Kevin Rogers, who's basically like number three in the building, right? He's the director of pro personnel. He's right under Ed Dodds and and Ballard. And he said, look, you know, I remember Bill Polian saying the great backs get tackled. They don't get hit. That's how they feel about Jonathan Taylor. Um, and then they told a story about this guy's personality and his character. And he said, you know, all these kids, they get back from road games. And the first thing they're thinking is which bar they're going to go to, which house party they're going to go to. Jonathan Taylor went to the UW football facility and got in the, in the cold tub. So he get his body right for Monday's practice. Now, maybe this is just coach speak, scout speak, whatever you want to call it. But a lot, I got a lot of notes about Jonathan Taylor on social media and emails the last couple of days from people in Madison. They love this kid. They think he's perfect. Um, he just, I just think he's going to add an element to this offense that the Colts maybe didn't think they needed. Yeah. At least the fans didn't think they needed before this draft. But um, I think he's going to make Marlon Mack better. And and I think every 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 weapon you give Philip Rivers right now is a good thing. It's going to help him. It's going to take less, you know, off the burden, take less of the burden off of him. And uh, surprise pick. But the more I dig into Jonathan Taylor, the more I like. Yeah, so I thought that uh, Kevin Rogers did a good job, I think, of of laying out how he's different than Marlon Mack, too, because I wondered about that. I was like, all right, well, they're both kind of fast, uh, both good size. I mean, Jonathan Taylor's 226 pounds. I mean, this guy is a big guy. Uh, Marlon Mack, I, I think, is goes a little less than that, but but certainly plays with toughness and, and, can, and can take the contact and all that. But I think two things. Number one, I thought what Kevin said about uh, the the good backs or what Bill Polian told him uh, about the good backs not really taking the hits. I think that really applies here. Um, that actually puts me in, in in a mindset of Frank Gore, who always said that. Right? He, Frank would always tell That's us such a good point. Yeah, Frank would always tell us we like Frank. How the hell have you been playing football for forty seven years and you never get hurt? And <laughs> and he would always say he's like he's like I don't get hit, man. And we'd be like. Yeah, you know what? You're right. And so, look, he's not the – and again, they're a diff, totally different player, right? Not He's nothing like Frank Gore. But but I think certainly just the, in terms of how they run, uh, there is a similarity there in terms of uh, their, the elusiveness or, or what have you. So uh, they don't take clean shots. And that that tells you something yeah. about a guy. It tells you he's crafty. It tells you that he, he has quickness. Uh, I think that there are some real things that you can glean from that. So I would also say uh, with Jonathan Taylor that um, I think that one thing that Kevin Rogers pointed out, the director of pro personnel, is that, look, you – with him, they want to get him in space probably a little more than Marlon. Marlon's a guy who um, is is really, I think, able to take advantage of of the man-to-man blocking. You get a hole, and Marlon is patient. He yeah. sits back there, waits for the hole, and then he hits it, and boom, he's gone. I think with, with Jonathan Taylor, what we might see is more in the way of zone blocking. And Jonathan Taylor talked about this after he was picked the other night, and he said, look, I – 
I, I really stressed to the coaches that I wanted to, to do more of that last year. And they gave him that opportunity. They trusted him. And he said he really liked the ability to play in space and not have to uh, necessarily wait for the blocks to, to set up. And so with, with zone blocking, the way it works is, you know, they're not blocking a specific man. They're, they're sort of flowing. The offensive line is sort of flowing in front of you and you just look for the crease and, and Jonathan Taylor's quickness and speed. He's able to do that. And if he hits it right now, he can take off. And so Frank Reich last night spoke to this because what did he say, Zach? He said, you know, we want to take some of those 10 yard runs and turn them into 50 and 60 yard runs. And I was like, whoa, you got big plans. So I'll just tell you, I I really, what did you ask Frank about at the end of the season? This just jumped out at me was those explosive plays. They have a metric they use. This is such a big piece of the NFL. And, the, the offense died in December. It literally just fell apart. There was no explosion. There was no big play. There was no threat of a big play. And Frank was ticked about that. Believe this. He was ticked about that. And they went to work. I mean, it's not just Rivers. It's not just the deep passing game. You make a good point. The 10-yard runs, he needs to turn those into 50 and 60-yard runs. And Frank Reich and Nick Sirianni, they had a great weekend. Because yeah. you look at this. They got, they got better at the quarterback spot in March. Now they got Jonathan Taylor and Marlon Mack. They got Naheem Hines, who I still think they're going to use more in space this year. He's sort of a scat back. Um, they've got Jordan Wilkins as insurance in the running back spot, and, and they got better receiver with Michael Pittman, and they got you know Desmond Payton late. But um, I think this was a really good draft for the Colts offense and for Frank Reich specifically because he's got a lot to start scheming up. Yeah, no question about it. Uh, I really do think that that Jonathan Taylor pick, uh, as unexpected as it was, uh, I think we're going to to come to really like that pick when the season gets started. Uh, so let's just keep going here in order. Now, they got off of offense here in the third round. They went with Julian Blackman. I actually like this guy. I I had him in my mock draft going to the Colts in the fifth round. So I never envisioned he could be someone they'd pick this early. But I, I tell you what, um, you tell me if you agree. I, I'm going to trust him on this because I didn't know a lot about Kari Willis last year either. Okay. And then yeah. they trade up 20 spots to take that kid in the fourth round. And the minute he got on the field, I was like, all right, I get it. I get it. Yeah. And he'll be a starter in a couple of weeks. And he was <laughs> exactly, you know I mean? exactly. This kid, he, I think he he gave them a totally different dimension on defense on the back end there, just with his versatility and his aggressiveness, uh, ability to play different spots. And so here they go, and they get this guy, Julian Blackman. He's he's played corner for most of his career, and then last year, actually, politics to move to safety because they had some depth at corner. He wanted to try safety, and then he has a great season, puts himself in the NFL. So what do you – I don't know. Do you kind of see it that way? And and what do you think about the injury factor here? So he tore his ACL yeah. in the conference title game. Um, he's probably not going to be ready. I mean, Chris Ballard said August or September. That's probably optimistic. Uh, but that being said, he doesn't have to play right away. They have some depth at safety. Uh, th- this is this seems like this is a Chris Ballard pick, right? I mean, multi multi positional, uh, not right. a conventional player. Uh, I think this is just something we should start to expect, isn't it? Yeah. We'll see how this one turns out. I'm not uh We don't know. I think it's more of a I think it's more of a risk. Uh I think he's still pretty raw, only one year at safety. Uh he was drafted higher than a lot of the experts think, you know, which is that's the Colts' prerogative. 
Um, he could cover, man. I, I watched the tape, and he can move, and he can do a lot of different things, and they love that in their defense. The one thing that stands out, and this is a, this is a Chris Ballard thing, is that that turnover ability. They love guys who can take the football away. This guy could do it. Right. Uh, he's got a knack for that. And we talked to we talked to Matt Turpening last night, the assistant director of college scouting for the Colts, and he said, "Look, I mean, the NFL is all about trends, and you want guys who can cover and also turn the ball over, and that's sort of the new thing. If you can find these versatile defensive players, you know, you saw Isaiah Simmons go in the top ten. Nobody knows what position he has, and it doesn't matter." Um, Blackman is, is sort of like a defensive weapon. You're just going to line up in the back of the defense and let him do his thing. You're going to see him rush the quarterback. You're probably going to see him cover some tight ends over the middle. And then obviously he'll play in the back end. So I think he's got a ways to go to sort of acclimate to the NFL game. I think it'll take some time. And, and I'm not just talking about the injury. Um, but I think Matt Eberflus is really excited to get a player like this. And uh, it's going to be fun to watch him develop over the next couple of years because I think it's going to take a little while for him. Yeah, and I think, look, the thing about Julian Blackman is I think you just hit it on the head. It's production is a big thing here, all right? So you're talking about 60 tackles, uh, four tackles for loss. He's got one and a half sacks, two forced fumbles, eight pass deflections, and four picks last year. So, I mean, he's he's touching every part, every level of the defense there, basically. And, yeah. and, and I think that is something we have seen. That is, a, I think, the longer you watch – uh, this team under this current regime, you start to learn who they are and, and what kind of players they gravitate to, right? I mean, if you're smart and you're paying attention, you can figure this out. So now think yeah. think about who they have drafted. Guys like uh, Kari Willis, they drafted Marvell Tell last year, for example, a guy who was a safety in college. Uh, they moved in the corner. They are looking for guys who can be multiple in many ways. Um, we saw Kari Willis last year play everything from free safety to linebacker, basically. Um, uh, nickel corner. I mean, he did everything. So uh, they want that ability to mix things up to to keep things, uh, to keep the offense guessing as well, which is another part of this, right? They don't want to be static. And I think that's why you saw them last year play literally four safeties over the course of the season. They played four safeties almost every single Sunday. It, it was crazy. Now, sometimes the snaps were different than others. The snap counts, but they That's had a good four point. guys. Ron Milligan, George Odom, they, pl- they yes. love their safeties yes. here. Uh, Clayton Gathers played, obviously. Some games Clayton Gathers would play 50 snaps. The next week he'd play 10. Uh, it was just all yeah. catered to what are we doing this week? And I think that's something that – to enable to do or in order, excuse me, to do that and to take that approach, you have to have very unique players. So again, I don't know what just what Julian Blackman is going to turn out to be, but I know what they're going for and I understand the thought process. Whether he's the guy, that is still to be determined, but I get what they're trying to do here and it is very, very interesting. Um, I, I, I like it. And he's another one here, by the way, team captain, uh, leader type of guy, um, a guy who, who he, he talked about that on Friday night when we asked him about leadership and he said, Well, you know, I think I have to earn it. You know, I have to I have to show that first. Yeah. And he, he he was very serious about that. He's like, Look, I'm not gonna walk in the door and be a leader. I, I gotta earn that. And, you know, I think he understood the process and I just think he's really right in line with a lot of these guys uh the Colts have, have picked in recent years. Um uh, did you think what what else did you think was on the table at this spot? Did you think defensive line maybe because they did not really address that? I, I thought that was interesting. What what other yeah, positions were you thinking? Round. Yeah, 
I was thinking defensive end, mm-hmm. and I know you can't pigeon yourself with, you know, pigeonhole yourself with a spot, with a position, yeah. right? It doesn't work like that. That's not how Ballard thinks. Um, a little surprised, but, you know, look, they went out and they got Buckner in the middle of the line, and, and they like they like Toure. Um, they're going to give Ben Banigou another shot, you know, this year. Um, yeah, I mean, it's 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 you always got to remind yourself, like, I didn't see them going running back in round two. And I didn't right. see them going safety in round three, but it's the draft. And there have been curveballs, you know, the entire time the last couple of years. So that's the fun part of it. Um, now to transition to round four, I will be the first to say I did not see them taking a quarterback, Jacob Eason, 122nd overall. I didn't rule it out. Obviously, everybody knows the situation. But, man, Chris Bauer did a good job of downplaying his need for a quarterback Thursday and Friday night, right? Yeah, and you know what? I, I thought when We're not going to force it. We're not going to force right. it. We're not going to force it. Boom, they take a quarterback in the fourth <laughs> round. Yeah, I, I, th- I thought about that after he took the – after they made the fourth-round pick, and I was like, huh, was he screwing with us or or – or was there something deeper there? And so I actually think this is just me. Maybe I maybe I'm seeing what I want to see, but you tell me what you think. Yeah. I think that when he says we're not going to force it, I think taking Jacob Beeson in the second round is forcing it. <laughs> and so yeah. that so when he says There's that, a difference. Right. So when and he, then if he busts out, it's like, oh, that was a terrible pick. Fourth right. round. If they miss, they miss. He doesn't see taking him in the fourth round as forcing it. And it also means to me that maybe he's not the guy, right? They were very clear about that. By the way, I wish you guys could have been on on the the teleconference with Frank Reich and, and Chris Ballard on Saturday night because let me tell you something. They've been right. over backwards to be very clear to us. This guy, he got a long way to go, people. Okay, like every where time... Is he, where is he right now? <laughs> he is competing with Chad Kelly. Yeah. End of story. That's what they said multiple times. Yeah, and let me tell you, I mean, every time we would try to ask a question about his upside or what he could be or anything like that, the things that you know reporters are expected to do, like what can this guy be, right? What's the best case scenario? They would shut it down. I mean, shut it down. It was, it was remarkable. Before we start talking about him being the messiah when he walks into town. All right, Chris, hold on. We're not talking about him <laughs> right. being the messiah. It's like, hey, who, who said but that? But he said, I mean, he said, he, you know, hey, by the way, I love this. He said, hey, he's, he said, he got to make the team, man. <laughs> it's like, he's got to make the team. He's got to make the team. Now, if you cut him, now that's that's news because you cut a fourth round sure. pick a quarterback. Sure. But uh, he's not going to beat out Jacoby Brissett. He's not going to beat out Phillip Rivers. So he's fighting for the third spot. That's the reality. That's what Ballard told Jacob Eason on Saturday. Yeah. Uh, so, so this is interesting. I, I think, I think it's fine. Like, I, I have no problem with this pick. I know I got all kinds of, uh, responses. I mean, the, the range of responses was, was huge, right? Some people right. hated it. Some right. people loved it. Uh, look, people are really finicky about quarterbacks, but I, I just think you got to look at this in perspective. And the perspective is very, very simple. It's a fourth round pick, man. Okay. So understand yeah. that. And and go from there, right? You can you can still hate him as a player and, and don't think he's any good, but you can also understand that the investment here is a fourth round pick, and that is totally yeah. different than, like I said, a second round pick. I mean, just look what they got out of a second round, right? I mean, you got to feel good about that. This is this is a flyer. This is a little bit of a flyer. I get that the fourth round is still a valuable pick, but it's a little bit of a flyer. Um, I mean, do you, do you agree? Am I wrong? What do you think? I think the Colts' moves spoke volumes this weekend, and I wrote about this Thursday night. You know, Jordan Love was falling, late Uh, 20s. The Colts had a chance to get him. They had the ammunition, and they didn't. They specifically did not trade up 
despite reports out there, they did not trade up to get Jordan Love. They could have if they wanted to. They didn't. That's how they saw a lot of this draft with the quarterbacks. They didn't see, you know, besides Burrow and, and maybe Tua and Herbert, they didn't see those mid-level quarterbacks as worth a second-round pick or a third-round pick. So they passed and they waited. And then when Easton falls to the fourth round, they saw the value. It doesn't mean he's going to be a starter. They just saw the value in a fourth-round pick, the investment. And what jumped out to me yesterday talking to Jacob Eason and our call with him was, look, I mean, I think a guy's been humbled a little bit. When you've got the physical tools that he has, you probably think you're going to be a first-round pick, not a fourth-round pick. He was very clear to say how excited he was to come to Indianapolis and work with Frank Wright. He said, that's going to be great for me. I think he's right. He's going to get to learn from Phillip Rivers. And another interesting thing, and I think you asked Frank about this, is like, look, when you're in the quarterback room during the season, it's all about the starter. It's all about getting the starter ready to play. That's all that matters. And he's got Brissett to learn from, and he's also got Rivers, and he's going to watch those guys. Both of those guys have led teams for seasons, and Rivers has done it for 16 years at a Hall of Fame level. That's going to be really good for Eason. Um, nothing's going to be given. He's not going to walk into a backup job. He's not going to walk into a starter's job. He's going to have to beat out Chad Kelly. That's <laughs> how his career is going to start. And they're not going to roll out the red carpet for him at all. Uh, and, and it's going to be, that's what it's going to be. And, and like Ballard said, if he earns it, he earns it. If not, I mean, Ballard cut him. And you know what I mean? It's, it's basically the lay of the land right now for Jacob Eason. And, and it doesn't hurt the Colts down the line if you miss on him. But I think they're basically just saying, all right, we'll take a shot. We see the value and that's it. That's, I mean, that's where they're at right now. They don't, they don't feel like they found the guy, but, um, they think with some, you know, at the very least, they get a guy on the roster for 2021. You know, at least that was accomplished. Yeah. And I think it, it was actually smart of them to, to sort of pump the brakes on Eason because just for their own personal, uh, selfish reasons. And if I'm Chris Ballard, I don't want to be judged by, uh, drafting Jacob Eason in the fourth round. <laughs> I mean, like, that's not yeah. my attempt at a franchise quarterback. I mean, that's what you think is, is an attempt at a franchise quarterback? People know. Okay. Let's be honest. I mean, if they take a quarterback in the first or second round, this is this I, that could decide Frank Reich's job in a couple of years. Sure. It could decide Chris Ballard's job in a couple of years. That's how this works. And fourth round is completely different. And, and, and it's just, it's a low risk, high reward play. And Eason has a hell of an arm. So that's a you made a great point there. Like, just to circle back to Jordan Love. So, like, if you're Chris Ballard and you're sitting there with the 34th pick, and Jordan Love is sliding, and you're not sold on that guy, but you know there's pressure out there to get a quarterback. If you succumb to that pressure and you take that guy, and you're not sure about him, two three years from now when he's a bust, and I don't know, I don't necessarily think Jordan Love is going to be a bust. I am not saying that. Let, I don't can, know if we'll have the answer in two or three years with well, Jordan Love. He might not true. be playing for, until his fourth or fifth year. It could be Joe Blow. I don't care. But whoever that player is, two, three years from now, if you go up there, you get him, first of all, you have ratcheted up the pressure by going to get him. Yeah. Okay? And now yep. you've got to make it work. So now you're boxed in. You're you're sitting here trying to move heaven and earth to, to move – to, to make things work around a guy you're not sure about who may or may not be playing well. And it's just a, it's a cluster, man. Okay. And, and what about, it's not a he good said situation. it's on January 2nd. He said, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to force it. I'm not going to force it. You see it every time in the draft, you see teams panicking. They don't have a quarterback and trying to make a guy work. And you see guys going up the draft board when they shouldn't. He didn't. He didn't force it this year. I don't think forcing it is picking a fourth round pick. That, and a lot of people had maybe going on the second. 
Um, but believe me, it's, I'm going to be watching Jacob Eason in training camp. I'm going to see how that kid develops and how he handles everything. And it's going to be interesting to see his, his career develop here in Indy. Yeah. So I think you already hit on a lot of this, but you know, my column today basically outlines how is he going to make it? Like, what are the things that are going to allow Jacob Eason to make it? And we've hit on them already, but just to recap, I thought there were three variables and I think we talk about quarterbacks where, you know, where they get drafted in terms of order, but where they land is everything. Okay. And for this guy, he's very fortunate. And I thought he realized that. Yes. Uh, He certainly, I think, sounded as if he appreciated the fact that he was going to a place where you had a a quarterback, a former quarterback calling the plays, uh, leading the offense. He understood what that meant. Okay. He's already had a lot of conversations with Frank Reich. So that is going to be a huge benefit for him. There's also the Philip Rivers angle, which I think is huge to be able to sit behind him, a guy who has some similarities, right? He's a pocket passer, not a, a guy who's going to uh, use his legs as much. So he has, he'll see the game in much the same way as Philip Rivers because their skill sets are, are a little bit similar. And then finally, he just doesn't have to play. He doesn't have to do anything for some time. Right. I mean, they're still looking at Philip Rivers. I know at least Philip Rivers and Frank Reich are looking at this as a two-year window, even though he's only signed for one, uh, that they are thinking that sort of abstractly, in an abstract way, they're thinking two years here. So, so they're fine. Like they have, he has time, he has mentors, and he has a great teacher in Frank Reich. If he, if he can't, if he can't do it here yeah. in a couple of years, I don't know where he's going to do Then that's it. on him, and it says all you need to know about him. Uh, let's, before and we. Don't forget about this. Right. Go ahead. The one guy no one's mentioning here that's a huge player in this is Marcus Brady, quarterback coach. Mm-hmm. He's worked closely with Andrew Luck. He's close, worked closely with with Jacoby Brissett. He'll work with Rivers this year. Um, Brady had a had a big role in this draft pick, and he vetted all the quarterbacks. Um, and he's going to have a huge role mentoring Jacob Eason as he gets to Indy and, and takes him sort of under his wing because you know that's that's the project here. And yeah. I guarantee you, Marcus Brady is going to be the guy that uh, helps Jacob Eason the next couple of years in Indianapolis. Yeah, that's going to be a priority for him, no doubt. And and the one the good thing about about getting to the NFL is there's no 20-hour rule like in college or any of that. I mean, yeah. uh, it's all football. So, I mean, he, he will have as, as much time as he wants to put into it, okay? This will be up to him. But if he wants to put the time in, he will have the help. And he will have people there to, to make him a better player. So... It's on him. He's got to take the extra steps, though, to make sure that happens. But if he's willing, it can happen. Uh, but as you said, if he doesn't make it here in the long term, then maybe he just wasn't he wasn't a guy to begin with. And that's why he was in the fourth round. So we'll see. Uh, one quick thing before we move on. Uh, one quick quarterback thing. Uh, I thought it was interesting. So we had the four quarterbacks on, on the first night in round one. Jordan Love being the guy going to uh, Green Bay late. But, but then only one quarterback... On a night two, Jalen Hurts, uh, really interesting, yeah. and, and I just think it really spoke to what this quarterback class was, and and I think it it kind of puts a bow on everything that Chris Ballard has said, and and his very sort of the the reason he's kind of kept that position at arm's length this entire offseason as he as it relates to the draft. I, mean, I don't think I've ever really heard him say, "Oh, what a great class," or "Man." This guy, these guys are blowing me away. Right. Like he's not that he would anyway, but like he's been very careful to never tout this quarterback class 
And I think the reason is because they didn't think it was very good. <laughs> and, I think, and speaking to that, I think that's the draft. That's showed a really us good this. point. So did his move in March. Yeah. So you're picking 13th. You know who's going in the top six or seven picks: Herbert, Tua, and Burrow's going at the top. And you move out of 13 when Love could be in the vicinity. This just tells you what you already thought after they moved out to get Buckner. They didn't love Jordan Love. They, if they loved Jordan Love and thought he was the guy, they would have stayed at 13. If they loved Jordan Love, they would have moved up Thursday night. They didn't do that. So that's two passes on Jordan Love. That tells you what Ballard thought about the mid-range quarterbacks. They didn't love them. They saw value elsewhere, especially a receiver. Um, and believe me, they're really happy with what they did at 13, especially the way the, the board fell. Um, e- even after Thursday night, like, believe me, if, if you take DeForest Buckner with the 13th overall pick, that might be the best pick in the entire first round. <laughs> so let's think of it this way. If you're a fan, uh, you drafted DeForest Buckner, Michael Pittman and Jonathan Taylor with the three first picks. You okay with that? I mean, I'm just saying, if you're talking about production and guys who have done it, okay, one of them's an all pro. I think he's done it. The other two have done it at big time programs against Against solid competition. So, like, yeah. yeah. I mean, what are we talking about here? You're talking about guys who are ready to roll, in my opinion. Um, I wrote I wrote last night, and you tell me if you disagree, but look, I mean, they got better quarterback. They got a huge piece on defense. They got better at wide receiver. They got some offensive weapons for their quarterback. They are among the most improved teams going into next year. I believe that. Um, look, we can, we can review their draft picks in a couple of years. That's the only way to really know if they're going to be legit. But um, – this team is not going to look and feel like it did last year. And that's a good thing. And I think they've improved in a lot of key areas. I think, I think they're absolutely going to be in the running for the AFC South title this year. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, before we go, I, I think we should probably just roll through the rest of these picks and just give a little fun fact, maybe about all these guys. Cause we, we did talk to the scouts and, and obviously Chris Ballard and Frank Reich as well. Um, yeah. I thought with Danny Pinner out of uh, Ball State, the most interesting takeaway from him in the, what was that? The, Fifth round. Uh, I thought the most interesting thing there was Chris Ballard telling us afterward. He's like, man, I was calling people for 30 minutes trying to move up to draft that guy. He loves Danny <laughs> Pinter. Like, oh, so I don't know. I've not seen the kid play. Uh, not a big Ball State fan. Um, you didn't see the swing pass they ran for him at Ball State. He ran in the touchdown. He looked like a fullback. Did he? I, I did not see that. Yeah, I, um, I really have not watched I'm him. Telling I'm, you, I'm going, uh, but I'm, I'm telling really you. I'm telling you down the line. That's a possibility. Tackle eligible, whatever he's going to play. I think he's going to play guard. But, he's going to um, be a guard, I think. Frank Reich's already scheming up plays for that guy. They love Danny Pinter. And he's an, he's an in-state guy. So Yeah. No, so I think that's a that was a, a good pick because um, if you can get a guy you love uh, at, at offensive line for depth in the fifth round, uh, that's a good pick right there because you know – you know he's going to have a role, and and you know that you're all in on that guy. So, so that's good in the fifth round. And it's a great spot for him to, to come into. He doesn't have to play right away. Exactly. He's playing behind the best guard in football. Um, good good, good depth pick there for Danny Pinter. Yeah. Uh, Rob Windsor out of Penn State, defensive tackle in the sixth round. I thought the interesting thing with him is – uh, he's about 290 pounds from what Mike DeReese, the Northeast scout, told us. Uh, but they see him beginning his career as a nose tackle, which is kind of interesting. He's not like some big 310-pound yeah. guy. But I think they can take advantage of maybe him being a smaller nose tackle, and ha- which is what they want anyway. They want a guy to get up the field a little bit. So I don't know. He's an interesting guy. I'm kind of curious to see him play. 
Therese kept harping on his hand technique and his speed and his motor. And he mm-hmm. kept saying that, like, you just won't believe how hard this guy plays. We'll see. Um, sixth round pick, but, but look, I mean, they, you know, they're, they want waves of guys. This is what Therese said. They want yeah. waves of guys on the defensive line. Ballard has said this for years. They really like, you know, the starter, DeForest Buckner, and then they really like Danico Autry as well, but they can get some guys behind them to keep coming, to keep putting more pressure on those quarterbacks. You know, that's the goal. And they never want that to sort of drop off. They never want to have reserves that just can't get it done. So Windsor will have a shot, but he's, he's definitely coming in behind those two. Yeah. And then and look, you got, especially at nose tackle. I mean, you got the three technique you got, and you have the nose tackle. He can play both. If they're going to have him focus initially on nose tackle, then uh, he's got Grover Stewart really is, I think the primary nose tackle. Uh, but last year you had Marcus Hunt in there definitely faded last year and, and wasn't the same guy. Yeah, Hunt's Hunt's, he was released. Yes, exactly. So now you're talking about. I forgot about that. Right. So now you're talking about a guy, a young guy uh, with a high motor who can maybe come in and, and give him a spark there potentially if he gets on the field. So I think he's got an opportunity. So that's all you can expect out of a six round pick. Um, Isaiah Rogers uh, in the sixth round, man, I, I think they. They kind of like this guy um, out of UMass corner. Yeah, special teams UMass. talent too. They might they might throw him on his return man a little bit, but um, did he not lead know, the nation? He can never in have enough yards? corners. Am I and, and they, if I'm not mistaken, they. Um, did, did you notice the the comparison that that the Jarese made? It's Kenny Moore. Now he's not going to be Kenny Moore. Kenny Moore does right. so many things, and he's one of my favorite players to watch, without a doubt. But um, they made an exception to the rule here. Rodgers wasn't the prototypical height and weight they wanted for that spot. They did the same thing a couple of years ago. Kenny Moore was too short. And they said, look, the talent outweighs his build. And so, you know, Rodgers, you know, this is what Therese said. He, he's 174 pounds. He never, you never feel like he's 174 pounds. He plays bigger. So it'll be fun to watch him compete for a depth spot at cornerback this year because he'll be behind, you know, Kenny Moore and, and Xavier Rhodes and, um, the rest of them, but uh, interesting pick, and it sounds like he's fast as hell. Yeah, and and listen, don't don't discount what those sort of uh, metrics mean to the Colts because Chris Ballard is is a real stickler for that, and so for them to, I don't want to say violate, but for them to to set that aside uh, for a guy tells you that they're really high on that guy. Uh, they've only done it a few times. Yeah. I mean, you look at, if you walk in their defensive back room, you're going to see, all right, there's Malik Hooker. He's like freaking Gumby. He's huge. Uh, those are the types of guys yeah. they like, right? Even George Odom, a guy like that. I mean, he's not on this team if he's not 6'2. So, I mean, like, I think there's a, there's usually a, a very, um, a very big push to adhere to those standards. And they didn't do that here with this guy. Uh, so I think that tells us something about him. So, uh, real quick, we've got, uh, Desmond Patton, uh, Patman, excuse me, out of Washington State, wide receiver, uh, big guy, 6'3", 225. Yeah. Uh, there's I mean, a trend here. Are we seeing a trend right. in their wide receiver room here? Uh, very interesting. Yeah, I think it's, uh, I think it's purposeful. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be fun to watch him. And, and look, they need depth. They need depth. Deion Kane's not here anymore. You know, Reese Fountain's coming back from the injury. Um, it's going to be fun to watch this receiver group blend together with with philip rivers during camp and it's going to be fun to see them compete because they're not gonna be able to keep all of them that's just the reality right this is here's another sort of big physical receiver uh just reading dane brugler's uh take on him you know one of the things that he says here our, our draft analyst one of the things that he says is that um he has huge hands and he'll swallow the football and use his length to snatch the ball away from his body so i think uh, we talked about this 
with Pittman as well. Okay, being a big guy is fine, but maximizing your size is another thing, right? And so here's a guy who who does have some ability to do that. And he's under four or five in the 40. So nothing wrong with that at a with a guy that size, 6'3", 225. So I think, you know, hey, Mm -hmm. he's got a long way to go. They've got a good receiver room right now, but uh, somebody to watch, maybe practice squad. And I love the last pick. I love Jordan Glasgow. I think think it's so understated, a guy that can come in and just have an impact on special teams. Nobody thinks about that. They want to, you know, they want skill position players, et cetera. But, you know, a linebacker who can come in and just be a heartbeat on special teams, that's a huge value in the seventh round. Sixth round, sorry. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And uh, how about the Colts having those those three straight picks in the sixth round there after trading down with uh, New England? Right. I mean, that's Chris Ballard what to Ballard the very last end. Night? He said, get used to it. Yeah. Get used to it. <laughs> Chris Ballard to the very end. And so Zach and I are sitting there texting each other like, ah, come on, man. Now, we were- <laughs> so someone, uh, I don't remember who it was, someone tweeted at me. Saturday after they traded back one of their picks and said when he was a kid, Chris Ballard would try to trade his birthday with his parents so he could have two half birthdays <laughs> later in the year. I mean, the guys. I thought that was great. The guy's unbelievable, man. It's like it's like a tick or something. He's made he's made like twenty nine picks in four years. That's crazy. So I added it up. All of them are still in the NFL. I think twenty three of them are still with the Colts. They traded Quincy yesterday. Um, but like he said yesterday, the more darts you have, the more chances you have to hit. Um, and you know, they've got, you know, they picked two, 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 11, two, 12, two, 13 yesterday. I mean, if, if two of those guys hit, you know, that's good. That's a great success rate. So they are, they are just loading up in the draft every single year. I think this is something we need to get used to. He's a volume shooter. Okay. And look, those guys fill up the stat sheet. That's just how it goes. Right. So, uh, you just hit on something real quick that I, I did omit, uh, Quincy Wilson, uh, traded to the New York Jets yesterday. Mercifully, it's over. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. He is not. Hey, and I like guys. Quincy, and you like Quincy. I love Quincy. I know his family, but it needed to end. It needed, it needed to, to end. end. Uh, I listen. It got to the point. I talked to Quincy. I believe. I think the day after the season ended, we had a long talk. I ended up writing a story. You've read most of those quotes already, but um, he was so frustrated because not because he's an ass, but because he was like, man, I just, I want to just be honest and just say like, this really sucks, but he wouldn't go there because he's got character. Right. So, you know, he, he sort of articulated it as best he could, but I felt bad for him. It was like, here's a 23 year old guy. Uh, He still has talent, um, but he's, he's in a spot where he's not ideal for the scheme. Uh, He doesn't play special teams, which is not anybody else's fault. But the point is, he doesn't. And so, look, I think it just worked out better for him to go somewhere else. He's going to go to a team, by the way, where they play press man. And so he's going to be able to to be more at home in that scheme and I think have an opportunity. So good for him. He's one of 11 former Colts on the Jets right now, which is one (laughs) of the most amazing stats in the NFL. Like I forgot about like Henry Anderson and Matthias Farley, but there's a there's a list of them. Um, look, yeah, it needed to end for Quincy in Indianapolis. Um, I think the problem was he was overdrafted. Second round pick. He never played up to that potential. He had some moments in 2018, but, um, not a bad kid. Wants to be good. Um, I don't think it was an issue with the coaching staff. I just, I just never could get to the bottom of why he wasn't on the field. He wasn't even active. He, He became a healthy scratch the entire season last year. The coaches would say, yeah, he's practicing fine. He just doesn't play in special teams, which, 
I don't know. There were other guys that weren't playing on special teams. So maybe this is the fresh start he needs. Uh, I, I don't think Quincy was was angry yesterday when he found out he was he was on the move to New York. No, his social media seemed to indicate otherwise. So, uh, by the way, I texted Rex Hogan, who is the uh, Jets assistant general manager and was formerly uh, vice president with the Colts. And I was like, got you another one, huh? <laughs> <laughs> it's like he says, I can't wait to get Quincy back. So he, they're pretty excited. So they, hey, this is a win-win for everybody. So uh, those are the kinds of deals we like. So uh, how you feeling about this team? You said it already, but I, I think I don't know, man. I think I like me some Colts this year. I, I don't know. I like this team. Yeah, maybe these are words we'll eat when That's fine. Uh, we get to the football season. But uh, <laughs> one, I just hope there's football this year. I hope it gets back as soon as possible. We're not going to get to see the the mini camp, the rookie mini camp right. and the OTAs like we usually would. But um, it's hard for me to to see it any other way. The, the Colts got a lot better this offseason. They did. Buckner changes everything up front. Rivers will be better than Brissett next year. He will let Frank Reich run the offense that he the way he wants to. They'll take more downfield shots. T.Y. Hilton will be happier. I want to see more from Paris Campbell. I want to see what Michael Pittman looks like. I think Jonathan Taylor will ease the load on Marlon Mack. I think there's so many options where they could do offensively. Um, And, oh, by the way, you got Quentin Nelson entering year three and Darius Leonard entering year three. And those guys are just going to continue to get better and continue to stack Pro Bowls on top of each other. So there's a lot to like about this team and and their chances to win the AFC South and possibly contend – uh, for the second round of the playoffs. I don't want to go further than that, but um, Chris Ballard has done some work this offseason. It's hard to see it any other way. I could not agree more. Uh, I'll leave you guys with this. i got two words for you. Play action, okay? Because <laughs> you've got Marlon Mack and Jonathan Taylor and the most ferocious offensive line in football. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. So, yeah, this is... T.Y. Hilton, this there is you a, go. This has got a great recipe they're putting together there, and... I think it's okay to be bullish on this team. I don't know how far they'll go, but they got a shot. They definitely got a shot. That's all we want. We want fun football, and uh, I think we got the potential for that here. So, all right, Zach, time to catch up on some sleep. Uh, There's still tons of more stories to do because we've only scratched the surface on these guys, but, man, that was a long weekend. (laughs) I feel like Roger Goodell right now. It was. (laughs) like I don't have my, like, cozy socks on, but – but that was kind of funny. I, I, by the way, before we go, I know I've been winding this down for 10 minutes now, but did you like this format? I loved it, by the way. I know it was totally accidental, the, the way they did the draft, but it was it kind of worked. I, I don't know, man. Yeah, and to be honest, I didn't miss the um, the orangutan cameos for the, for the picks <laughs> exactly. from the zoo exactly. and uh, all the nonsense that goes with it. Maybe I'm not a fun person, but I just, just announce the picks, man. And this is like the, you know, the greatest moment in these – these kids' lives, like, don't have a monkey out there announcing it. You know what <laughs> exactly. I mean? Exactly. Yeah. So I'd much rather see a guy hug his mom than uh, than than orangutan hold up a, a sign yeah. in front of a camera. And it was it was really cool to see the scout, the, the NFL executives, and the presidents and really the coaches authentic. at their homes. Yeah. You know, and with their kids. And I mean, I think Ballard mentioned this. Like, you know, he's got the five kids, and he had an awesome setup in his basement. And the, and the kids got to see all that goes into it, all the phone calls, all the trades. All the stuff that goes into it behind the scenes, and I think that was really cool. And he said, you know, he said it's something he'll remember forever. Just how neat it was to have that experience with his kids. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. So yeah, it was, it was really cool. And I think I thought Roger Goodell said something afterward that I thought was very remarkable. He said, you know, we learned a lot from this, and he says we're going to have to implement some of these things. So they're thinking already. They're already their wheels are turning, and I think that's a good thing. So anyway, I'll let you get out of here. You guys are probably done listening to us at this point. 
so thanks again for listening. Thanks for subscribing. Uh, it's been a great draft season, and we've had great results uh, from our coverage, and so we appreciate that from you guys. Uh, stick with us. we got more to come. And so I'm Stephen Holder with Zach Kiefer, and you're listening to 1% Better.